this is foreign to you, but to those of us that understand the gospel, those of us that have experienced forgiveness, those of us, as I almost break this thing here, those of us that understand what it means to know Christ and to experience fellowship with him through the Spirit and with others, made possible because of the blood of Jesus, singing about the blood that reminds me of my sinfulness and the glory of God is truly good for the soul. And so thank you, worship team. And as always, it is good to be here. And as, as the children are kind of exiting and finding their places where they'll be able to hear the word on their level, it just reminds me of truly how I love children. I love being around children. And I especially love listening to them talk. I mean, I could just sit driving my car and the backseat conversations just kind of make me laugh. And I'm sure if you're a parent, they probably agree with that. But for me, what's, what's really just amazing to me is, is listening to children speak about their faith. If you take a child and they just, in their childlike ways, are just talking about who God is and talking about what it means to love Jesus, and they just make up songs and sing about how they love Jesus. For me, it just reminds me that children get it. Children just have this childlike faith that, by the way, if I remember correctly, Christ told us to have this childlike trust and faith in Jesus. What can happen to you and me as, as adults is we can forget that childlike trust and love for Jesus because our lives are demanding and our lives can be busy and can be difficult. And so we forget the awe, we forget the wonder and the amazement of God, and instead you have a pile of dirty dishes that you have to wash. Or you have to go back to work and it's hard yet again. And then you get home, you have to pay a whole bunch of bills. And then your wife is demanding, not mine, of course, but other wives out there, or husbands can be. Or, or in my case, if I have to go to one more furniture store and sit on one more couch or lay down on one more mattress and spend one more durham on furniture, I'm just going to throw up. It's like I'm tired of looking for furniture but I'm also tired of going to immigration offices in different places. And, and I, you know what I'm talking about on that. And, and so I can just get so caught up in the demands and the frustrations even of life that I forget. And I'm sure you can forget too. You can so easily forget just that wonder and that amazement of our God in heaven singing songs that bring us back and center us and focus us on the blood of the Lamb who was slain on our behalf is good. We must not forget that Christ came to give us life. That's why he came. In John 10, verse 10, he says, And I came that they, being they being his followers, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what Jesus said in John 10, 10, that he came to bring us life, but not, not just a life that is mundane and monotonous, full of drudgery, but he came to bring, bring us life that is 
abundant, a life that's overflowing. You're thinking, well, okay, overflowing with what? He came to bring his life in abundance, but abundantly having what? Money? There are some that say, yes, sign me up for that one. I want to be signed up for a faith in Jesus where he's brought life in abundance, and what I want abundantly is money, or I want comfort, or I want leisure, I want ease. And so I want an abundance of these kinds of things. And so it really begs the question when Jesus says that he has come to bring us life and to bring it into abundance, abundant of what? And this is the question, this is the topic that we're going to be covering for the next four weeks on what does it mean to have an abundant life? See, Jesus didn't come to give us a set of rules or religious obligations. Jesus simply used the word, John 15, he says, here's what you need to do, abide. That's it, abide. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be going through this teaching series simply called Abide. That's our focus is what does it mean to abide? And how does that bring us abundant life, abundance of what, and why does it matter for me today sitting in a seat in a restaurant of a children's zoo in the UAE? It matters. It matters a great deal, and that's why we were gathered here together this morning. And so, again, Christ did not come to say, okay, you need to pray more, you need to give more, you need to fast more, you need to do more, do more to impress me. Now, every other religion on this planet essentially says that. If you're a Buddhist, then you believe in the ninefold path. This ninefold noble path that if you follow these steps, you will reach nirvana, this nothingness. So, but if you're Muslim in this context, you have the five pillars of Islam, and you must do these things. And so every religion in its own way says essentially the same thing, of you must do these sets of things, and if you will accomplish all of this with a geosity, then you will reach the ultimate experience, whatever it is, whether it's called paradise, or whether it's called nirvana, or whether it's being one with Brahman, if you're Hindu, whatever it might be. You do these things and you reach a point that is the highest pinnacle of human existence. And Jesus had none of that. He did not come and say, you must do these things so that you, therefore you can impress me and earn your way into heaven. He simply came. He died as we just sang for us. He paid the penalty. He accomplished what we could not accomplish. And he says, in response to what I've accomplished for you, you abide. That's what he says. John 15 is incredible. And if you know the context, John 15 is important because it's the night before he was crucified. This is the last few hours that he would spend with his closest friends. A few hours later, he'd be hanging on the cross for them, but also for you and for me. If you had a close friend, a family member, a loved one who was dying and he was laying in his bed and he could muster up the words to softly say, come, come close to the bed. I want to tell you something before I pass away. 
Would you ignore that person or would you get close to the bed? Likely you would come close quickly. And would you ignore that person? Would you be on your phone texting someone or playing Angry Birds? Or do you think that you would put everything else away and focus and listen to what your loved one had to say before he passed away? If I can guess, you probably would really listen. And the words that your loved one would say to you, his or her last words to you, would likely resonate in your soul. You would likely remember those words the rest of your life. You would probably not forget the last words that your loved one said to you before he or she passed away. And that's what you see in John 15, the very last words of Jesus that he says to his closest friends, and by extension to you and me, these are the last instructions, the last words that he shares with them. Earlier in the evening, they had met to share the Passover meal. Jesus had already washed their feet And he demonstrated, I have come to serve, not to demand anything from me, but to serve and to save you. And they had their meal. The the betrayer, Judas, had already left. And so you have Jesus and his 11 true disciples. After they ate the meal, they sang a song like we just did. And then they left. And they walked out. And they headed towards the Kidron Valley and up to Garden of Gethsemane where he would pray and then be betrayed. But on the road, as they're walking to the garden, they go through a vineyard. Thinking a vineyard, yes, very common in that region. A vineyard where likely the disciples and Christ had walked through hundreds, if not thousands of times throughout their life. Walking through the vineyards was very common. And so the walking through the vineyard, it's, it is night, it tells us in John 15. And so I can imagine that they had torches lit so they could see the way. There were no street lights like we have today, obviously. So picture the scene. It is dark. It is night. They've left. They're walking together, walking through a vineyard, holding torches. And Jesus stops. But you have to remember what they were talking about leading up to this. In John 14, just the chapter before, in the same evening, same conversation, Jesus has said to them, I am going away. I'm leaving. But I won't leave you as orphans. I'll send you the comfort. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to indwell you and give you power. And they don't know what that means, but they're listening to Jesus. But all they can hear is, I am leaving. All their hopes hung on Jesus. They saw the miracles. They believed he's the Messiah, but they thought that that meant what? Defeat the Roman oppressors is what they thought. They were convinced that this was probably the night where he would finally defeat the enemies and they would become the secretary of state or they become the minister of Whatever, they're all ministers in this country too, but they all thought that they would be the leaders in this new government led by Jesus, Messiah, and he's leaving? They're crushed. They're sad. Their hopes are gone because Jesus says that he's leaving them. Imagine the confusion. Can you just stop and imagine how confusing that was for them 
before the resurrection, before the Spirit came upon them at Pentecost. At this point, they're confused. And they're following Jesus. Their hearts are already heavy and broken. And Jesus stops, and he picks up a branch from this vine in the vineyard. And he starts sharing with his closest friends these last words, and he tells them, he tells them about what it means to be close to him and his plans for those that he loves the most and being in his kingdom, all of his language. And he's talking about it by using grapes. I mean, can you just imagine how they're thinking? They're already confused, and now he starts talking about grapes. Like, Jesus, come on, man, really? Is that the best you can think of is using grapes to describe what it is to be in your kingdom, to be close to you? And grapes are a very common thing. Talking about grapes for them would be like us talking about sand or insane driving. It's quite common. Both are equally common in this city, right? Yes, it's normal. It's not a big deal. It's not a point of discussion. Oh, yeah, today I had a crazy driver in front of me. Really? What's new? That's not new. That's normal here. Talking about grapes was very common. But that is what's beautiful about Jesus and his teaching is he would use the common. He would use everyday things like grapes and vines. And he would use those everyday things to teach deep truth, spiritual truth that is transforming for them and for us today. And so again, picture this scene. It's nighttime. He's holding the grapes and he's talking about this abide conversation. They're in the shadows, and they're listening, and they're disappointed, and they're confused. And I think some of us in this room here this morning probably feel a lot like those disciples, standing in the shadows of life, and following Jesus really hasn't quite turned out the way you thought. If you either now or have ever felt as though following him was more confusing or harder or quite hasn't brought the comfort that your heart was yearning for, then I'm glad you're here this morning. Because today and the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what it truly means to follow Jesus, to truly abide in him. What does he want our lives to overflow, to be abundantly filled with, in the words, joy. That's why he came to bring us life. He wants your life to bubble up, to overflow with joy because of the fellowship you have with him. And by the way, this joy that he wants you to have is not based on circumstances because if you're, if you're seeking for a temporary fleeting joy, a happiness, that is based on circumstances, you're going to lose it because your circumstances will change. By the way, if any of you in here don't like change, then we're going to have problems. I'm just telling you right now, I'm being very upfront with you. I've been here for like five weeks, and there's going to be changes in this church. There's going to be changes. And by the way, just, just, just so you know, you can't stop change. You can't. And I think that's what causes us stress at times is when we think, oh, no, everything is changing, and we want to stop the change. And so our bodies are changing, newsflash, if you haven't noticed. 
Maybe for better or worse, your body is constantly in flux and never changing. Your family is changing. Your job can be changing. Economy is changing. Politics changing. Governments come and go. There's changes. There's changes everywhere. A river that is flowing is constantly changing. Your cells regenerating inside of you are constantly changing. Everything around us in this world is changing except for one reality, except for one person who is immutable, unchanging, God himself. He's the only one that doesn't change. And so we can look to him, cling to him, hold on to him, because he does not change. He is the same past, present, and future. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so we can cling to our God and his word that is unchanging, but everything else around us, culture, the church, it's all changing. And so if we're trying to find joy in any kind of situation or circumstance, it will change, and sometimes for the worst. And so our joy that he wants us to have cannot be based on anything other than himself because only he is unchanging. Everything else will change. And so we must find our joy in him alone. And so God offers this to us, and he wants us to enjoy fellowship with him. And so when you're enjoying this relationship with Jesus, regardless of the circumstances, then you're going to have an abundant life. And it's marked by two things. Taking notes, okay? And so an abundant life is marked by, number one, fulfillment. Number two, fruitfulness. And so an abundant life is marked by, number one, fulfillment. Number two, fruitfulness. When we are living a life where we're worshiping Jesus every day, living a life of worship, of glorifying him, where we're living alive with intimacy with him, we're abiding in him, then that will lead us to joy. And that joy will result in this abundance is fulfillment and fruitfulness. And so God desires that you have an abundant life of those two things. But what can happen to us is we want to follow Jesus on our own terms. That can happen to me very easily, is I want Jesus but I want him on my terms. But that's not what God's word describes. It's following him on his terms. And if you're following Jesus on your own terms, it's going to lead to disappointment. It'll lead to doubt and maybe even to anger. And so if you're struggling with disappointment, if you're struggling with despair, if you're struggling with doubting that he is there or doubting that he is good, if you're angry at God, now, by the way, if you have any of those for a season, you're in good company. Read the book of Psalms, and every single human emotion possible under the sun is captured in the Psalms. Honestly, with God, being angry or being really excited, crazy happy, or being just in the pits of despair, being afraid, every single emotion is captured in the Psalms, but it points all to peace and joy, life in God. But if you are in a pattern of despair or a pattern of doubt or disappointment or anger, that is a sign, it's evidence that you need to look in your own heart. I can't see your heart, 
But ask yourself, and ask God to reveal it to you, is it possible that you've been trying to follow Jesus on your own terms rather than on his? Abundant life is fulfillment and fruitfulness. That's what it looks like when you have this life of abundant joy. And by the way, it only comes from a relationship with Jesus. The only way to be fulfilled and to be fruitful in your life is to be in a relationship that's intimate with Jesus. Let's read a few verses out of John 15. We'll, we'll be in it for the next month, but we'll read a few verses today. John 15, verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Let's jump down to the verse 5, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He uses the word abide several times in this passage. If, if you read the whole chapter, through verse 17 specifically, ten times in verses 4 through 10, in just six verses, he uses the word abide, 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 abide. And we'll talk about that more in the next few weeks as well. But this is a metaphor. A metaphor of faith and being with Christ is this metaphor of the vine, of being in the vineyard, this vine dresser. And so Jesus is who in this metaphor? Jesus is, he is the vine. And so he is the trunk of the plants that grows out of the ground. And so the vine is basically the, the main part of the branch, or the tree rather, it's a small plant that it grows out of the ground, and it's the trunk, and out of it the vines grow. And the, and the vine dressers keep it about waist high. And so Jesus is the vine, but who, who are the branches? The branches come out of the vine, and the branches, it says, are his people, you and me. We are the vine, and the vine grows the branches all onto a trellis, which holds it up and gives it structure. And so Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and by the way, what grows on the branches? The grapes, the fruit. Why would the vine dresser, who is the father, it says my father is the vine dresser, why does a vine dresser, why does he carefully tend to the branches? Why does, why does the vine dresser make sure that there's no, no pests? on the vine, and why does he make sure that it has plenty of water and sunshine and nurture this plant? Because he wants the fruit. He wants the grapes. And so all of this work is done so that the branches can be healthy and will then bear fruit, produce these grapes. But you're wondering, well, okay, fine. I understand grapes, but what is the fruit? If in this metaphor, we are the branches, he is the vine, and so we're supposed to bear fruit. Well, what is that? What exactly is the fruit in our lives spiritually? Practically speaking, it's good works. 
It's what you think about and what you say and what you do. Living a life that glorifies him. And so glorifying God is good fruit. And so simple things like being on mission and sharing your faith and making disciples, that is bearing good fruit. So making disciples is a tremendous part of this, but it's not the only. It's not just evangelism. It's not just making disciples. It is that, but it's more than that. It also involves living a life of purity. Husbands, it means you sacrifice for your wives, even when you don't feel like it. And by the way, I have had in my approaching 12 years of marriage later on this month, Many occasions, I, I say many, like once or twice, maybe in 12 years. But I, I've had occasions where I don't like my wife very much. It's very seldom, but it's happened. And by the way, it's happened to her too, where she does not like me much. But it's in those moments that I demonstrate my love for Christ when I have to repent of my selfishness and choose to love her and be tender and to be encouraging and to cherish her, to listen to her, even when I don't feel like it. Because our world today is all about the feelings, and I don't feel it, and I, I, don't, I, I don't want to because I don't feel it. Well, too bad. You love your wife, you sacrifice, you cherish her, you listen to her, you care for her, because it glorifies Christ. It's about the gospel. Your marriage is about the gospel, not about you at all. And by the way, when you love your wife, when on act of your will, you say, I'm going to cherish you and I'm going to listen to you, guess what will happen to your heart? It will follow. The feelings will return. I can't still be overnight, but by faith I accept and I've experienced that they do. You see, we tend to want to Follow your heart. Hollywood says you got to follow your heart. you got to be happy. Ever heard that phrase, follow your heart? Anyone? Or is it just me? A lot of smiles. All right. Don't do that. Don't ever, 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 ever follow your heart. Don't do it. Because your heart is selfish. Your heart is wicked, it says in Jeremiah 17.9. Your heart, who can understand it? It's corrupted. Don't follow your heart. Instead, lead your heart. You lead it. You don't follow it. Bearing good fruit. You do that because you love Christ. Practically speaking, if you read in Galatians 5.22, it describes the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that the Spirit of God is working in you, and that's what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. That's what it looks like to have a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. When we're kind to other people, even when they're not kind to us, that's the key right there is will we be kind when they're not kind to us. And so when we're living a life of bearing good fruit, it looks like the very heart of God. Glorifying God with all of our lives, living a life of worship like we talked about for the last four weeks. And so he says ten times in this passage, abide, 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 abide in me. 
Well, what does the word abide actually mean? The word abide has the power to give your life joy, which will look like what? Fruitfulness and fulfillment. You'll have those two. But what does the word even mean? Define the word abide for me. Because I love to define our terms. Because we can't just throw words around. Abide, okay, I'll abide. How? What is the word? What does it even mean? Well, the word means to remain. It means to continue. It means to stay closely connected to. And so when Jesus says, abide in me, he's saying, remain in me. Continue in me. Stay closely connected as you're continuing and remaining in me. It's talking about a relationship, right? Of course. And it's not that different from your human relationships. If you tell your husband that you love him once and you, at, at your wedding, I love you, I do, in, in front of the pastor, and you never say it again, how is that going to affect your relationship? It's not going to be very good. You have to continue in the relationship. You have to abide. You have to remain. And that's just not just a one-time thing. I got saved. No, it's a continuing. It's a pursuing after Jesus. A perpetual daily relationship where you're remaining close to Jesus. Wondering why? Well, why do I need to? I got this. This thing called life. I got it. I don't need to. Well, you're foolish if you think that. And we all can think it from time to time. And our actions can betray us because we do all tend to think that from time to time. And our prayerlessness and our faithlessness and our despair, our evidence that sometimes we can fall into patterns of not abiding. God desires that you have an abundant life of fulfillment and fruitfulness. Listen to me. God truly wants you to be fulfilled and fruitful, but it can only happen if you're connected to him. It's the only way. It's the way God made it. You cannot do it on your own. You can't. Just like I went and I bought a little boom box, a little like radio for my son's room this week, and I went to connect to the wall and worked. And so I'm going back to car four to say, you sold me a machine that doesn't even work. And so, and so, of course, in the U.S., they just exchange it. But here, no, they're much, they're much more um, careful. Like, well, let's, let's try it. And so they, they connected, and it worked. Uh, I felt this big. It was like, oh, man, it works. Apparently, the power source in my villa that I connected it into wasn't, wasn't working. I even tried two, for the record, but apparently both of them aren't working. She says three. Okay, we tried three. But I have to call an electrician because apparently it wasn't connected to a power source. So can I blame the radio? No, because the car four power source was just fine. I was rather embarrassed. So they taped them and said, here, you can keep your same one. And so I'm like, fine, whatever. You have to be connected to the source. You can't do it on your own. Listen to me. You can't do it on your own. We try, and we're like that radio that has no power. And if in your life you're experiencing 
just, like I said, emptiness or despair or frustration. Likelihood is you're a radio that's connected into my villa. No power. Not connected. The branch must be connected to the vine. If not, you will shrivel up. And some of you here, if you're really honest, on the inside, you're shriveled. You're, you're more raisin than grape. And the reason is that you are not abiding. You are not connected to the vine. You're on your own. And it won't work. And John 15 makes it so clear. Let's see verses 3 through 5 again. It says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We must continue, and here's the key, continue in a daily personal relationship with Jesus in order to be useful for his purposes. You must continue in a daily personal relationship with Jesus to be useful for his purposes. He says that you are clean. He says that you have been transformed by the Spirit of God, His Holy Spirit, and there's a key, holy, good, clean Spirit lives in you, and so therefore you are declared to be holy and clean. And so now, go live it, is the implication. You have it. You had the Spirit. You've been clean. You've been transformed. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed, and so now you can go Live it. We're clean. We've been changed from the inside out. But you see, here's the thing. How we live is the evidence that we've been cleaned. Having good fruit is the evidence that we've been cleaned by him. He is the vine. We are the branches. You need Jesus. You cannot do it on your own. You can't. And if you try, you will shrivel up on the inside. We need the power of Jesus. He says you can do nothing. He doesn't mean literally nothing. He means nothing of eternal value, nothing of eternal significance, no fulfillment and no fruitfulness. Now, a lot of you work for Etihad, and so I was talking to James last week. He had a 14-hour flight going to Chicago. He goes, man, I, I got to go to bed. I'm going to have you on the plane for 14 hours working. I was on that flight, you know, in, in, I guess in May, but I, I slept most of it or watched movies. But he's working the whole 14 hours. And, uh, and a number of you work pretty hard, and so you know when it's time to land the plane, it's time to go ahead and get out of the air and land it to refuel. And so I'm going to go ahead and land this plane with the last thought. This is important, okay, as, as we come to a close here. Jesus is telling us, that an intimate connection with him is critical for our fruitfulness. We need a supernatural power to work in us. 
Now, here's what, here, this is careful. Okay, listen to me. He's not talking about activity here. He's not talking about activity. He's talking here about intimacy. You see, a lot of people can confuse activity with intimacy. And they think, oh, I'm being very active. I'm doing a lot. I'm a volunteer in this ministry, and I, and I go to the home fellowship, and I even help with the labor camps, or I even do this, or I'm, I'm, I'm missing with my coworkers. And, and so I have all of this religious or Christian activity, and we equate activity, and, and we think activity equals spiritual health. That's not true. I'm not talking about activity. I'm not talking about staying busy. And by the way, one thing that I do not like is a church that has so many programs that the people of God are so busy every night of the week they're in the church building, doing something. They're at church for their small group twice a week and then another Bible study and then they have another, and there's like every night of the week they're in some church function. Ever been a church like that? I have. And the church's goal is to keep you busy. And the busier you are, then the church feels like now we've arrived and now we're all spiritual. And what you've actually done is you have robbed your family of its necessary time, which, by the way, what happens throughout the week is more important than what happens here. This is just to fuel you and spur you on to go live a week of worship, being on mission for Christ. And so what happens is we can think, oh, I'm really busy. And so therefore, I'm healthy. I'm doing good. I'm bearing fruit. And you have not shared your faith. You have not prayed. You're nowhere near Jesus. You're just busy. The goal of your life is not busyness. It's intimacy with Jesus. If your entire life consists of simply just doing and you forsaking who you are, you're not going to be healthy. And I'd be willing to wager, now I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I'd be willing to wager that there's more than one person in this room that either now or in the past has experienced this, where you've been really busy, really working hard for Jesus. Your focus is on what you do for him, what you can do for Jesus, rather than simply stopping to enjoy him. The goal of your life is not to stay busy. It's intimacy, not activity. What will happen is you'll burn out. I'm telling you right now. If you're just staying busy for Jesus, if you don't have enough private growth to cover your public activity, it'll lead to exhaustion, to frustration, and to burnout. You must have more private growth than public ministry or you'll burn out. It'll lead to exhaustion. You want to have the power of Jesus. You're doing it on your own power. It won't work. Jesus must energize your doing. Your being matters more than your doing because your being will fuel your doing. You connect to Jesus. That's your being. And then that enables you to bear fruit. That's the doing. The being comes first, the doing comes second. Who you be in Jesus begins the process. 
you connect with him, you abide in him, and then that will energize, empower you, and fuel you to do, to bear that good fruit. May we be a people who truly understand this. I'm going to ask worship team to please come to the front and everyone else to just kind of bow your heads just for a second. Next week, we're going to talk in more detail on how to abide, specific kind of hands-on conversation on here's how you do it. But the essence, really, it's not that hard. The essence of what we're describing here is perpetual communion with God, abiding in Jesus. And he'll give you the strength to be useful in his kingdom. We abide first, and then we'll be able to bear good fruit. If you're here today and you're wondering, okay, I hear you, and I want that. I've received Christ, but I feel far from him. Will he take you back? Yes, he will. Every time. All you have to do is turn away from that sin, and he will take you back. If you're here today and you're wondering, I've never even come to God in the first place, then let's talk afterward, because Jesus died on the cross for you, and he offers you eternal life. He offers you fulfillment, and he offers you fruitfulness. If you would turn your life and give it to him. Will you pray with me? Our righteous Father, we are humbled that you would love us, that you would save us, that you would send your Son, and that we have the privilege of being the branches connected to him. And when we're connected to you alone, O oh Jesus, we know that we can bear good fruit, and we can do so much for you, and be fulfilled and be fruitful. But it all begins with simply knowing you and enjoying you. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to fight out the temptations that we would have to abide in other things that compete for our affections and for our time. I thank you for this church. I pray that you would help us to glorify you with everything that we do. Help us to abide, Father. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.